This morning, we're going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 uh, about uh, the resurrection. Um, Christians have uh, gathered for uh, 2,000 years to celebrate uh, the resurrection of Christ. In the New Testament, uh, Sunday is called the Lord's Day. And uh, we gather to uh, not just remember something that happened in history, but we gather because God says he meets with us when we gather. And so we gather to hear the word of God explained. We gather to sing and confess our sin and be together as a community as we all wrestle through our own faith. Uh, But... Sometimes uh, Christianity is sold as uh, we're to be optimistic people. Uh, Like somehow that is what we do. We gather every Sunday to just remind ourselves to be optimistic. Life will get better. But that's not the gospel. It might be helpful for some things in your life, but uh, that is not the gospel. It is not a blind optimism that God says, just just. Think great things will happen. Uh, The gospel, and it's clearly laid out in this passage, is a promise that something has happened and something else will happen. Uh, We, God will always be with his people. Let me read this, uh, the first 12 verses out of 1 Corinthians 15. This is known as the resurrection chapter. It might even say in your Bible there in a little um, smaller letters, the resurrection of Christ or the chapter of resurrection. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you have believed in vain. For I, I delivered to you as of First importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though I was not, it was not I but the grace of God that was in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? What Christ has done nourishes us, keeps us, makes us strong, holds us for the promise to come. Paul explains here in the first few verses, he talks about the gospel. He says, I preached it to you. This is the same gospel that you received, the same gospel which you stand, and the same gospel which you are saved by. And I'll explain what Paul is talking about in a moment, 
But I want you to think about your own life. And this question is not for those here this morning who are just seeking and wondering what is Christianity about. But every single person in this room, uh, think through these questions. And Paul answers these questions. And there are four of them. Why are you here? Why do you exist? What troubles you? What is your proposed solution? How do you fix what troubles you? And then how do you engage that solution? Does that make sense? Why are you here? What troubles you? What is your proposed solution? And how do you engage with this solution? I'll give you Paul's answer because I hope we all Uh, can understand what Paul is explaining here. Uh, Why do you exist? Because God created you and he made you for his glory and for you to enjoy him. What troubles you? At the core of all of our troubles is sin. Our brokenness, our brokenness which is seen and our brokenness in how we relate to our creator and then how we relate to the people around us and how we view ourselves. What is your proposed solution? What is uh, the solution that the Bible gives? Christ. How do you engage this solution? By faith. This is how, this is what Paul explains here in this chapter. But how does he explain the gospel? He says, he says, what I give to you is of first importance. He says, this is really, really important. This is the tradition of God's people. This is what we believe. So it's not as if he's telling them, oh, you have to believe this also about this Jesus guy. He's saying, uh, you know this. This is a creedal formula. So this is a creed, like we said the Apostles' Creed a few moments ago. And in this creed, which is in verses 3 and 4, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried And he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared. This is the the creedal formula. This is the tradition of the early church. What did they believe? They believed that Christ died, that he was buried, and he was raised. Crazy. We can all just admit, crazy. Even as this is written, though, he says, uh, people are still alive who saw this. I would say this is the craziest thing that has ever happened in the history of humanity. That the eternal Son of God took on flesh, lived a perfect life, died the death that you and I deserve, was buried, and he rose again. And he has ascended, and he is at the right hand of God the Father. That's the core of the Christian faith. This is the tradition of what we believe as Christians. But uh, sometimes that's either hard to believe or maybe we think it's it's wrong to believe or we struggle to believe it or uh, thinking that someone died on your behalf, you just can't stomach it. And so people make the, try to make the gospel into something else. Well, uh, they say that the gospel is doing social justice. The gospel is being uh, very kind to the people around you. The gospel is serving the poor. The gospel is sacrificing like Jesus sacrificed for you. None of those are atonement. All of those are activity. 
What is significant about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, it was atonement. It was for you. It was for people. It was real. God's message is not work harder. But that's the message we hear all through our week. Everywhere we go, try harder, do better. And so we implant that many times unknowingly in the gospel. And we think, uh, if, I'm not, if I'm not doing these things over here that God really approves of, then somehow he's going to love me less. And it's because we don't understand grace. Because that's hard to believe also. And throughout history, Throughout church history, groups of people have tried to rebrand uh, the Christian faith to make it a little more easier to, to believe, maybe, and uh, uh, easier to try to attain something in. But it goes opposite of what's explained here by Paul. It goes opposite of what the early church believed and what Jesus did for people. But sometimes... In, especially in our Western culture, we think uh, old is bad, uh, new is really where it's at. Uh, new and progressive and um, uh, something exciting. And we think of something old and we think, well, it's sort of boring. So, like me, I'm getting old. So, like, boring. But new things are really exciting. And so what they do sometimes, sometimes people trying to read the Bible, they say, we'll throw out all tradition, all the tradition of the early church, and we're going we're gonna to start again to try to figure out what should we really believe as Christians. Somehow that, there's this view that traditional things are bad. Um, it's not so. Bad traditions are bad. Okay, good traditions are good. So when Paul explains that uh, Jesus died according to the scriptures, he was buried, he rose again according to the scripture, uh, that is a good tradition. And Paul is telling them, you need to be reminded of this. This is a traditional creedal formula of the early church, and it is good. You may be here th this morning, uh, maybe you are visiting from out of town or you live here and you are here on Easter Sunday because that's what a lot of people do. And we're glad you're here. That's a wonderful thing. Um, but sometimes uh, the thought is, I'll just go on that special day. Or maybe I'll go around Christmas and everything will be good and it's okay. And maybe there's just a lack of interest. You just don't care. Um... As you're here this morning, I would encourage you to really investigate the claims of Jesus by uh, reading one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, by yourself, but also committing to showing up with God's people on a Sunday morning when it's inconvenient so you can hear, you can rub shoulders with people who struggle, you can hear their hurt and how... Um, God has met them. It would be a wonderful thing for you to do. If you've never done that in your life, I highly encourage you to do that. And you don't have to choose this church. 
I would gladly direct you to other great churches if this is not where you want to be. But it would be worth your time to commit going on a Sunday morning so you can understand what the Bible says. Uh, Beginning next week, we're going to go through the book of Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament. But I encourage you, if this is at all interesting right now, uh, make a commitment to it. Because you're probably like me when Saturday morning comes, or uh, Saturday evening or Sunday morning, and you think, okay, we we thought about that church thing. You're not going to do it. Because so many other things are more exciting that day. Probably like sleep. But I encourage you to commit to a church, to get to know God's people, to ask them why they believe this. Who is Jesus? And to really investigate those truths that are throughout Scripture. What the gospel does, what, why is Paul communicating this? He's communicating this because this is the only hope that humanity has. Jesus. Because it changes our hope. Because we're not called to be optimistic people, just like this morning, uh, one of my children, I think they're okay, whoever wanted to go to the Easter egg hunt, their hopes are dashed. But uh, they were maybe optimistic for those few moments that, oh my gosh, I could go do this, that sounds so great. And then I shattered it. But what the gospel gives us, the great life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, is it gives you hope, which is completely different than being optimistic. Optimistic is, it's springtime. I love being outside when it's cold or warm, but when it's warm, it's easier. And so now springtime is coming, and summer is coming, and I want to spend all the time I can sitting outside, doing whatever I can. And I'm optimistic that that might happen, that I can have some of that time outside. But I'm not in control of the weather. I've given, no one has ever given me any promise that I'm going to be healthy through the summer, that I'm going to have time to go do that. But what you have here in the Bible is the promise. Because Christ has risen again, you will rise again. Your life is not over. And that is hugely freeing. Because you can look back at your past and maybe think of numerous things that you are ashamed that you did. What the great work of Jesus does is it forgives you. And there is no shame and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we're not called to be more optimistic people. We're called to be changed people. We're called to be people grounded in hope. Reoriented to this gospel, this good news, this message of Jesus. What does it look like to be reoriented? What does it look like to have your life changed like this? Well, Paul explains this, and he uses his own life as the example. Verses 8 through 11, he says, Last of all, talking about Jesus appearing, he says, As Jesus appeared as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. 
But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Uh, If you know uh, Paul's life before he was met by Jesus, uh, he, his passion in life was slaughtering Christians. That was his life. I, I, I really can't wrap my mind around what it would be like to go through that transformation that Paul went through. Passionate about slaughtering people and then linking arms with them and looking them in the eye And telling them that you love them, and you truly do. That is what happened to Paul. His life was transformed from an angry man to a man, all he wanted to do was extend grace. And the rest of his life, he was either put in prison, running, or being beaten, or preaching. That was the rest of his life. So whatever is happening in your life or has happened in your life, Paul's the great example of what it means to have a life that's transformed. An angry man into a gracious man. A man who just wanted to take revenge to a man who served God by serving God's people. That's a dramatic change. And it did not come about because Paul chose to be optimistic. It came about because Paul understood in Christ, he is a new creation, and he is set free, and he's given a new identity. J.I. Packer, talking about optimism, says, Optimism is a wish without warrant. Christian hope is a certainty guaranteed by God himself because of the resurrection. Optimism reflects ignorance as to whether good things will ever actually come Christian hope expresses knowledge that every day and every moment beyond it, on the basis of God's own commitment, that the best is yet to come. And as people of faith in Christ, that is what we hold on to. So when we do, we are on the sharp end of injustice or cruelty, we know that God is the one who will deal with that. We are people who believe in a new heaven and a new earth. We are people that believe that uh, I will never, ever have a moment in my life without the presence of God. That gives real hope. It's a hope of joy and of peace because God has promised this. Jesus took our hopelessness so we could have hope. But we constantly feel tugged of wanting our hope to be filled here and wanting God's promise to be right here. But in the resurrection of Jesus, we are given a greater hope. Hope won't live Um, in a circumstance, hope is a guarantee 
that you are a child of God because of the great work of Jesus. And how are you called to respond to this? Uh, Jesus' first recorded words in the Gospel of Mark are repent and believe. Repent and believe. What are, you, what are we called to repent of? Anything we put our hope in that's other than Jesus. And those could be wonderful things. Those hopes could be in family and career and education and being a good person. We'd all say that those are good things. But when we think that those things will bring us peace, that those things will bring us hope, they won't. We're also called to repent of sin, our own selfishness, lust, and anger. It's a whole list of them. You know what they are. <laughs> your, your conscience is pricked. Repent of those and believe. So what do you believe in? What are you called to believe? Here in chapter 15, you're called to believe that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, was buried, rose again on the third day for you. He paid the penalty for your sin. He did that in your place. That's why this is so important. Christianity is not um, encouraging you to be better people and to be really optimistic. Uh, Christianity is, this is what Jesus has done. And what are we called to do? We're called to believe. And we're called to repent. And that's hard. And that's what we're called to be as a people. People of faith and repentance. And what we have in this passage is the promise in verse 12 that since Jesus rose again, and it was a real reality that Jesus rose again. There are all these uh, other theories that, well, maybe this happened. Maybe he didn't really die. Uh, maybe all these people hallucinated. If you really push and investigate those, uh, there's no record of 500 people having the same hallucination. Individuals have hallucinations. A whole group does not have a hallucination. There's a swoon theory that Jesus, well, he just got really tired on the cross. He lay down, they got better. Then he got up and walked away. Uh, he was crucified by the Romans. They made sure he was dead. The only hope that you have is Christ. And Christ is victorious over death. It says in uh, Psalm 23, uh, it talks about the valley of the shadow of death. And the understanding that death is a shadow. There's a story about uh, Dar Donald Barnhouse, who is a Presbyterian minister. I know, but he's okay. Um, Presbyterian minister for 20-some years at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. Um, his wife died of breast cancer. And the there are many versions of the story, but um, the one I will relay is he was driving home after the service with his three children, trying to communicate, trying to communicate the hope that you have in Christ. And a big truck passed them, and the shadow of the truck went over their car. And he turned to one of his kids and said, would you rather be hit by a truck 
or hit by the shadow. And you know, kids, they're staring out the window. Dad, I'd rather get hit by the shadow. And he says, that's what Jesus did. He was hit by death, so you will only be hit by the shadow. And that's God's promise. And so we celebrate today is that death is not the end. That you have a God who loves you so much and he knows your weakness that he moves toward you in your grief and misery, in your pride and anger. And he wants to transform your heart so you believe what is true and eternal and significant, that Jesus lived a life that you should have lived, died the death that you should have died, and rose again because of his great love for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you know what we need. We thank you that even in our brokenness, you meet us. We thank you that you do not call us to be optimistic and strong, but you call us to rest in Jesus. And we pray that you would meet us wherever we are in our understanding of belief in Christ. We pray that we would know uh, more and more that death is just a shadow. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.